life at any moment could just slap the shit out of you. And it did that to everybody in 2020. And a lot of people really didn't like how that felt. Not that any of us enjoy getting, you know, punched in the face, but some of us have put ourselves into positions where you're ready for things like that to happen and you have a plan for how you are going to bounce back. Hi, I'm Jason Lobig, and you're entering a world gone good. Well, hello and welcome. My name's Steve, and we're about to get our good on. If this is your first time joining us, welcome. And if you're returning for yet another visit, welcome back. World Gone Good continues to grow through listeners like you who share, subscribe, rate, and review this here podcast, so don't be shy. Give any or all of those options a good whirl, share the good, or just sit back and enjoy the show with your wine or your coffee or your eight ounces of water, which you need to get in and hydrate today. We're happy to have you with us, and we truly mean that. So I don't know about you, but after the year we've all had, can you believe it's been a year? Oh my God, it's been over a year I feel like I have a touch of PTSD, and I am not making light of anyone with actual PTSD. That is not my intent here. It just feels like a wave knocked me down and around and all over the town. My emotions and how I physically feel have been jolted and jostled. Is it me? Or have you felt this way too? It's like dog paddling our way through life at times. So how do we, in two simple words, live better? Brett Gornick joined me back in October on my opening day when I launched my very first podcast episodes right here. You can search back for that show. It is a good one. And today, we get to spend time with his Live Better business partner and best friend, Jason Lobig. Now, if you want to talk about a wave... Not just metaphorically, I mean a literal, actual, big-ass wave taking you down and out. Oh boy, does Jason have the story to share with us here right now. Well, it's finally happened. I have the other half of, (laughs) I guess I'd call you the dynamic duo. I don't know what to call you guys. What do you guys call each other? We would take that. Uh, Live better works too. (laughs) Awesome. So uh, your other uh, co-business best friend, fellow human, um, former college, I think, or you guys met in college? Is that right? Yep. Met in college um, and to all of the above titles. Yes. Brett Gornick. He was on one of my very first shows. He was on my launch. I did three shows and I launched them all at once to see what the hell would happen. And here we are. And today I'm talking with you and I'm going to let you take it away. Um, We talk about good stuff here. We also talk about um, finding the light and shining the light in the darkness, especially right now, because there's so many, unfortunately, you know, cloudy and darker days that we all are feeling. And so you had something happen to you about, I think, three, three and a half years ago. And I'd love for you to tell the story and then for us to dive in and just talk about how you found the good in it. So take it away. Yeah, definitely. Um, just as an introduction, my name is Jason Lobig. I am the other co-founder of Live Better, um, also a personal trainer, um, Nike trainer and Nike run coach. We do a lot of fun events, both digitally and in person when we can. Um, and this whole sort of world of health and wellness that 
we have entered and some of it we have built ourselves um, stemmed from my relationship with Brett. Uh, as you mentioned before, we we built Live Better a couple years out of college. And this ties into that injury story because as I was working a job that I didn't love many aspects of, some aspects I, I have continually drawn. So this is a job that I knew I didn't love, but that I could draw a lot of lessons from. And, and I think I started to take some of those lessons. And, and at the same time, I had reconnected with Brett after college. And I was like, hey, you know, I'm, I'm feeling this way about my job. And there are some things that I love. And there are some things that I want to work on. Um, but I really want to change the professional environment that I'm working in. And Brett and I started having a discussion and he knew that I was active and worked out. Um, and I had been interested at my public accounting job in getting other people in the office to be healthy. It was obviously still running races and lifting and taking care of myself, but found myself kind of corralling other people into being interested in the same thing. And so this discussion of live better sort of blossomed and it helped me define the mindset. It helped me define the daily intention. It helped me define the way that I was going to live my life, both personally and professionally. So three years ago, the um, life event that you alluded to, I tore my hamstring away from my hip in a really bad surfing accident. Um, it was a full avulsion of the hamstring, which means that it tears all of the related attachments and muscle off the bone. And it's a really serious injury that can also carry some complications. It's like a little, it's rare. It, it has to occur when you're doing something pretty violent and sudden and forceful to get that type of, um, to get that type of tear. Normally when we just kind of reach back and grab our hamstring when it's tight, it kind of feels like somebody's taking a little bite or kind of pinching it a little bit. This was you know, like somebody had <laughs> ripped it all the way off. And I think we can talk through some of this, but it, um, to, to, to fast forward, looking back on it has definitely taught me a lot of really important life lessons. And it's also framed the way that I now talk to clients. It frames the way that I think about work. I think one of the major sort of ego checks that it gave me was that I am not the sum of my physical feats and start to have to separate some self-identity away from your body and what your body can do as you identify as an active person or as an athlete. And it really changed the way I had to communicate. Um, I was on crutches for three months at least um, I was in a, what is the same as an ACL brace, but rather than having your leg locked straight, it was hanging at 90 degrees, which I also had to sleep with and move with. And uh, it, it definitely caused a lot of just general life complications. I got passed over for some work opportunities um, because I was immobile. Uh, it took away you know, a lot of my ability to be active. And I think looking back on it, um, even though it was a pretty dark, difficult time, I think with the mindset we have already been had already been cultivating at live better mixed with the people that I chose to surround myself with I think that's how I sort of chose to and almost was forced to turn it into a good positive life experience rather than one that you know set me back a couple of years 
So hold on a second here. Let's go back for a second if you're willing to do this. You were um, in the ocean. You were in a – where were you when this happened? And was it And was it a um, vacation? Was it just like a Saturday and you went out surfing? Like what's the deal? <laughs> what happened? Yeah, so I was uh, in Mexico um, just north of Cabo. And it was wintertime, which means the Pacific coast of the Baja is, uh, is ripping and roaring down there in Mexico. I was on vacation um, and it, it still carry this lesson with me. I made a, a fairly drastic error in my judgment on how much I could handle that day. So right. when surfing conditions get a little bit scary – it's really hard when you only have one day to not just sort of take what you're given. At that point, I was like, you know what? Waves are waves. They're a little bit big. It's a little bit windy. This particular break is uh, a bit dangerous just with its riptide and the speed. Um, water's cold. It's kind of sharky. And uh, and Anything else? <laughs> we had driven two hours to get to... Uh, Todos Santos. And when I got there, I was just super overexcited, grabbed this board off the rack from where I was renting it from. Um, the board was not waxed well. And that was the key problem. Suffice to say, every time I go in the water now, my board uh, looks like a bar of wax <laughs> over the top <laughs> in the shape of a surfboard. I'm like, I'm never doing, never making that mistake again. Um, but went out in the water and just got into a just kind of a bad water condition basically and stood up on the way dropping into the wave and slipped and my heel ended up catching on a piece of wax in a bad spot and somehow in the stars alignment um, I got stuck almost doing like that half splits and uh, I'll, I'll spare everyone the gnarly details but at the bottom of the wave um it it didn't stop at the it didn't stop at the half splits and i cannot do the splits i've only done them one time and it did not did not turn out well <laughs> in the moment this was all happening because i had a a moment in my teenage years it was our last day the waves were a little too rough it looked like there was a riptide but i can handle it i can handle it i was just so into it and i got out there and i had a moment where we were body surfing, we weren't surfing, surfing. I was like 15, 14 years old. And I started, you know, flipping in the wave. And then I couldn't stop because I was being pulled left and right and moving forward. And I couldn't find any up or down. When this all happened to me, I had this almost peaceful split second before I was like, okay, this is what you have to do. Did you have a moment like that or were other people coming to you? Like what, what happened in the moment? <laughs> um, when it happened, I think my brain registered exactly what had happened because I felt it and heard it. But then I got, obviously got tossed off of the board after the like actual accident happened and I was underwater and for a second, I was like, okay, I have my faculties, but then tried to kick to the surface. And that was a drastic mistake because as soon as I tried to kick, you, you need your hamstring to work to generally to make that motion. Um, and 
at that point, as soon as I tried to kick the secondary pain stab that came through the injury site was almost enough to make me pass out. And so then you kind of get kicked into survival mode where your branch is like, all right, figure out how to get out of the water. So I just held on to the leash. Thankfully the board floats. So, um, I just kind of hung on to it until I eventually got washed into shore and then tried to stand up and get myself out of the, you know, couple feet of, of, uh, sand shore break. So getting, a getting out of the water required me to still walk through, I don't know, 20 yards of, of, um, waves kind of moving under my feet, which obviously when you can't walk, you don't have a la- major leg muscle working well at all. Um, it's difficult. And I kept passing out due to the pain. And finally pe- some people on the beach saw this happening. And I think they either thought that I was kind of like half drowning or just in trouble because people came down. And then, you know, from there I, I got some help, but, um, it was like a split second of it happening. Me knowing it, I was very, very injured. And then just kind of being hopeful for one second that I could kick and then being reminded in the same five second period that I most certainly could not. It's so interesting what the body and the brain can do at the same time. Yeah. I'll never forget that. I'll, ne- I'll never forget that confluence of exactly what that felt like, the view I had underwater, how I was angled. Like it just, it will never erase from my brain. So you obviously went to a hospital or some sort in Mexico. Did you come back to the United States for surgery? Did you have surgery there? What happened to get you home? Cause you're in Chicago. Yeah, I'm in Chicago. Um, when you tear something rather than break something, there's a lot of inflammation and you cannot actually read, um, an MRI when there's that much swelling. And so I, I went into this clinic. Um, the doctor was really nice. He basically looked at it and almost by that point, like you could tell it was extremely swollen. It had already started to bruise. They wrapped it and he was like, you know, you're not going to be able to get imaging on this, but because I work in this field, like I, I was pretty acutely aware of what had happened. So I walked out with, crutches and a wrap around my leg and uh, spent the next last three days of the vacation kind of (laughs) sitting down and trying to do what I could. Um, Interestingly, as long as you don't move the leg after it happens, you aren't in a terrible amount of pain. So I was other than just like kind of general swelling. So I was still, you know, sitting by the pool, still tried to go out to dinner the next night. Um, the plane ride home was the worst thing ever. And then four days later, I got an MRI, um, downtown in the city and confirmed what had happened. And then, uh, surgery got scheduled six days later. Mentally, emotionally, where was your head at then? And then flashing forward to now, looking back at it, at that guy, then how did you feel? How do you feel about it? I was really, uh, angry. I, I, I tend to, when I injure myself and I, when it's my fault, um, which is, which has happened many, many times, I, anger is always my first emotion that comes up because I know that some of that decision was in my control, 
Um, and then, you know, I, I think that people have to give themselves this little pity party, this little grieving moment. And then you need to just be honest that like a lot of this was, you know, your own doing. I chose to go surfing. I chose to grab the board. I chose to paddle for that wave. You know, it was my body that was doing that. You know, these are my decisions. And I think when you accept that, then you accept that all decisions that follow are also yours to make. And I don't tend to dwell on things a lot. Um, I'm human. I'm going to have passing moments of letting things affect me and things will get me down, but I'm very good at just sort of maneuvering around it or through it, whatever I think is going to be most effective and moving on. And I, I, you know, I, I, at that point I had already been on the phone with Brett. I had already been having conversations with my wife. She's seen me in a, you know, see me in a wheelchair and see me in a hospital before. Um, and so she kind of knows what's, what, what I'm going to feel like and what I'm going to sound like. Um, but I was pretty quick to, to kind of get over it. it. It almost at that point, when you, when you reach a setback like that, the only option is just to say, this is now my new baseline. What am I going to do to get better from here? Of which I had had so many good examples of that playing out in my life already, um, taking that approach. So I was angry for a day and then you get dejected and then you go through this little pity party and then you get angry again. And then some of that anger for me turns into motivation. I think looking back on it, knowing that it's not the first like major injury I've had, it's the worst injury I've had, but not the first surgery, not the first, you know, career altering thing that's happened. And at that point I had been through that process before in a smaller sort of, uh, subset or kind of like a smaller lens, but I, I think looking back on it, I know that this is just sort of a part of my process and I knew what I was going to have to do. I was just glad that in the moment when I was sitting there, I didn't know how much work was going to have to go into it. Like I, I wouldn't have told myself that. It's so interesting, too, because I think, well, first of all, you're human. So, of course, you're going to get mad. You're going to get angry at yourself. You're also going to feel some disappointment in yourself. And like you, it, like anything, like when we have a car accident or when anything goes wrong in our life, we start stepping back and looking at all the steps that we took toward it. And we're like, where were the warning signs? What didn't I see when I should have seen it? But I also think, and maybe you can speak to this, that it forces um, some mindfulness and some presence to take place in the moment. Most definitely. I think it does. It, you know, I'm, I have been surfing many times since, um, not a stranger to dangerous <laughs> physical activities. I like any really downhill gravity aided board sport, um, on various forms of precipitation. Uh, <laughs> I've been hurt snowboarding and surfing and mountain biking. And, and I know that there's a process that must be followed when making decisions, especially ones that are in the moment, um, for anybody that's has, you know, been skiing, been riding, um, you know, that things happen while you're on the move and it's your, you know, your ability to adapt and, and to kind of make decisions, especially while you're moving at speed. And I think that that happens as we move through life the same way, 
just as I made a split second decision to paddle for a wave that I shouldn't have, I knew that I should have practiced some patience in that moment and said, you should have taken a step back and properly waxed your board. You should have probably paddled for a wave that you had a little bit more understanding of or control over. And rather than just, you know, pressing the send button. And I think that the same things happen when you're sitting there sort of evaluating your headspace after the fact too. It's like, well, I could sit here and just try and plow through it and not really work through the problem. And I think that that creates its own issues. Um, And I think practicing some presence and just understanding and being okay with, all right, this is my natural reaction, but how can I just put a little tiny pause in between the input and then your reaction to it? It's like, how can I just slightly separate myself so that I can you know, insert some reason, I can insert some patience, I can insert some wisdom into the scenario, which will create a better outcome. For instance, if I'm sitting there pissed that I got injured, I know that sitting there staring in blank space and just wallowing is going to do me no good. So if I can't get myself out of that on my own, well, I know that I just need to, all I need to do is just get myself into the company of some people that are going to lift me up. So I know that while I can't change my own internal mental headspace, maybe I can just change my physical space, which will then in turn prompt a different headspace. And I tried to work through that as often as I could, you know, and have tried to do that almost every day since, um, whether I was working through physical therapy, whether I'm having challenges at work, um, relationship challenges, whatever that might be, it's like, if you need to get out of your own way, where are those physical spaces? Who are those people you need to surround yourself with? What do you need to listen to um, in order to kind of change the change your state? I was going to say that because it's different for everybody. For some people, it's people. For other people, it's listening to um, in you know inspirational speaking, music, um, or you know reading stuff that helps them get back into that space. When you have an injury like this, and I'm not saying mine's the same. My piriformis issue lasted exactly one year, almost to the day. You reach a point where, <laughs> at least I did, that I'm like, okay, my pain level today is a seven. Is this going to be the rest of my life? And if it is, who am I going to be? So I ask you that question. Do you, did you, do you have moments and does it reflect forward? Um, in planning. Does that make sense what I'm asking you? Am I speaking a foreign tongue or did any of that make sense? No, yeah, you have to make real-time decisions about your body. I mean, and this is a, you know, a purely physical conversation. I think that we you have to respect the way that your body feels and at the same time you have to put your body into a position where it feels comfortable moving forward. Right. A lot of pain away from the physical side, away, a lot of pain is also psychological in the way that your body wants to protect itself. For instance, if I'm sitting for long periods of time, the point of which I had surgery is the highest line of your inside hamstring that you could draw up to your hip bone. So it is directly underneath your sit bone. So when I sit on anything that is firm, like a bench, 
um, even on a padded seat, to be honest, if I don't kind of slump backwards in the chair to protect the length of my hamstring and that injury site, it gives me feedback. Sure. And with the amount of reminders I have on a daily basis that this happened to me, it is a very visceral pain response and warning signal that my body is giving me just from moving naturally. So I don't even have the luxury of trying to avoid it in anything that I do. I always feel it. So my ongoing conversation is always one, and this is also of a broader context of how do I want to balance the performance aspect of my life? How do I want to balance the aesthetic aspect of my life? And how do I want to balance the longevity piece? Because if I was just working out for purely aesthetics, I would do things to build muscle and to look good that don't, that would not directly hurt my hamstring. On the performance side of things, if I want to run fast and be explosive and lift a lot, I'm going to have to take and accept some discomfort. And if I wanted to just do the longevity side, I would obviously sacrifice participating in some of these physical feats um, and would sacrifice some of the aesthetic piece. Like if I decided to just do yoga as my only form of movement. So to answer your question, depending on the time of year and depending on the macro cycle of my training, I'm kind of constantly evaluating that exact question of what am I willing to tolerate my leg feeling like and how do I want it to perform based on whatever goal it is I have. And and that has certainly fluctuated since that time of injury right away after I wanted to feel healthy and I immediately wanted to get back to running. The time estimate on that was seven to eight months. And I think I started running within three um, Mm -hmm. due to really good physical therapy and just a lot of good self-care. Um, and I was also getting married at the end of that year and it was still up for discussion whether I'd be able to dance at my wedding. And I was like, no, no, no. I was like, no, no, you don't understand. (laughs) Not only do I have to do that, but like, I already want to be in like, you know, decent running shape by that point. Um, and then the year following I trained for the marathon and then, and did the marathon last, uh, October, And then this year in 2020 leading up to now was like, okay, I'm going to rebuild back my strength and power. Um, And that's sort of the the longer phase that I'm in now. And I had to deal with various discomforts from my leg. Probably the most prescient other than being in PT was, you know, right around marathon time. Like obviously was a a, a difficult (laughs) physical feat to come back after your hamstring was removed. So um, to answer your question, it's kind of an ever-evolving thought and, and a near-daily conversation I have to have with myself. Well, let me say this, a couple things really quickly. First of all, um, we, my husband and I both got the flu the week of our wedding. Um, our, our wedding photos are the funniest thing you've ever seen. I am the whitest. I, I'm almost like powder. You know the guy from the movie Powder? I look like powder with a giant red bloody, like because I've blown my nose so much and – I, I have I sent the photos from our wedding to a friend of mine who does graphic design, and she tried to fix us as best she could. She's like, I did my best. Um, so um, I, I I had plans, and then you know the world gave me something else to deal with. But you you mentioned something, and then and then I want to move on and talk about live better. Um, 
which I think is so important, which is I think we have this idea in our head that, you know, the good part of our life must always feel good and must be easy and must, you know, like that's the good. But there is a good in discomfort. And even down to, you know, challenging yourself on a run, working out, hard, harder ways of, you know, mentally thinking, emotional ways of, you know, of elevating ourselves. There is a good in discomfort. Do you agree with that? 100%. It might be the, the most foundational idea of our business of which we present that idea in many different ways and in different language, depending on the audience we're talking to. Um, we can get into some of this, but if you're Listeners are familiar with Brene Brown and David Goggins. They have very different motivational styles on how they decide to coach and talk. Um, and I think it's it's just kind of worthwhile to, to work through the situations in which you feel uncomfortable and evaluating whether those are good or bad. I don't think it's always good to feel uncomfortable. I think we do want to feel comfortable in some aspects of our lives. But what we want to feel comfortable with is the feeling of uncomfortability of constantly pushing our edge. Um, this year I've started to do a lot more study into stoicism and leadership. And I think one of the ideas that I've had in my mind for a really long time that I've just never really hashed out until kind of the beginning of this year is this idea of just constantly being battle ready of never letting myself get to the point where I'm not ready for some type of like unexpected fight. And I think a lot of people, and not in the sense of like, I think someone's going to sneak up on me with a spear and I need to like walk off to to whatever uh, Armageddon is happening outside. But, um, but more in the sense that like life at any moment could just slap the shit out of you. And it did that to everybody in 2020. And a lot of people really didn't like how that felt. Not that any of us enjoy getting, you know, punched in the face, but some of us have put ourselves into positions where you're ready for things like that to happen. And you have a plan for how you are going to bounce back. I think a lot of people found themselves in this extreme position of uncomfortability with spending time with themselves, with not having this growth to work on. A lot of us fell on really hard times outside of our control. I'm not discounting that, but the fact that we didn't have this resilience or a way to emotionally work through a lot of these things, even though the stimulus in COVID was completely new, that doesn't change the fact that we want to have strategies to work through times when our life is going to be challenging. And the more often you put yourselves in that position, the more sort of like life fitness we get in having to deal with these challenges, whether we put ourselves in that position, like running a race or a marathon, or whether the world puts us in that position and it's out of our control. It's sort of understanding what is and isn't in our control. And the things that we can't control are always attitude, effort, values, things that you're able to create as like an inner fortitude and then sort of attack any situation. Um, and I, th- I think that uh, 2020 gave us a nice little human experiment in uh, who was good at that and who was not quite ready for it. Oh, no question. It was a wake-up call for everyone. And what happened too, which I think is so pivotal, is it was a flip of a switch. It wasn't a gradual thing. It wasn't, oh, I see this coming. It was like, flip, March 10th, 
<laughs> you know what I mean? March 11th, suddenly yeah. there's no food in the supermarkets and we're all standing on lines and you probably should be wearing a mask. So it was the choices that I think we normally had pr- previous to this time that allowed us to gently move in or move in at our own pace. We all moved in at the same. We didn't get a choice. We all were moved into the next section. And now, how are you handling it? Very, very, very interesting. Well, speaking of which, you guys have a company called Live Better. Tell my audience about Live Better, where they can find it, and what it's about. Yeah, so Live Better is an experiential health and wellness company. We're based here in Chicago, but have a a national and somewhat global now audience, which is awesome. Um, We do a few different things from coaching and educating to community building. So our our newest project and, and part of Live Better that we're really growing is our monthly collective membership. So we've started a membership uh, subscription and we work through our four pillars at Live Better, which are move better, eat better, think better, and give better. Those are the elements of wellness that we teach in from strength training and running to meditation and productivity to stress reduction to healthy nutrition and eating psychology all the way to kind of what is self-care actually for, which in our opinion is to then be able to use that self-care to fuel your impact and purpose-driven work outside of um, taking care of yourself. So we've got this monthly subscription community, which is amazing. And that has allowed us to link together all of the other things that we do. So Brett and I are both personal trainers. We teach group classes. We train people online. Um, This year in particular, we've really bolstered up our performance coaching business, which I would kind of describe as like an executive wellness coach um, mixed with some self-development coaching. So we help people workshop through starting businesses, gaining more clients, working on relationships, um, all the while working on our physical and mental health tools like resiliency and mindset and the physical training itself. We run uh, two wellness retreats a year, which unfortunately we didn't get to do last year. Um, You're getting kind of a sneak peek, but we're definitely going to have one this year in November um, for sure, which we uh, incorporate all the things that we teach from training to yoga to these uh, these workshops and and kind of thought leadership discussions. Um, and then we've got a digital platform on the back end of that with a, a podcast and a newsletter. So a, a lot of great in-person and digital coaching options. We now have this awesome community that we're continuing to service on a monthly basis with classes and calls. Um, and then we work down to individual coaching. Um, and through that, we also get a lot of great opportunities to work with uh, wider audiences like our corporate partners. We do a lot of different corporate workshops and teachings. It's all kind of the same information, just delivered to a wide audience in different ways. Now, where can people find Live Better and where can people find you specifically online, socially, if you want to share? Definitely. So our website is livebetterco.org and at livebetterco on Instagram. And then me personally, I'm just at Jason Lobig. It's spelling my first and last name. Um, and then I also have a personal website landing page, which is jasonlobig.co, C-O. Um, and kind of everything will just sort of filter together. So whether you um, hit me up directly or, or through Live Better, both are great ways to connect. 
I'm going to end the show the way I end every single show with two questions. It can relate back to what we've spoken of or it can be anything you want it to be. Answer any way you want. Here's question number one. Who inspires you? Who inspires me? I would say anyone that is truly following what their purpose is in life. And in order to determine that, you can see so much joy and effort and attitude being put into somebody's life, life's work and the relationships that surround that. Um, and I give a broad answer like that because I've pulled inspiration from not only the health and wellness field, but art and design and music and the writing field, just so many different people that are pursuing what they feel like is purposeful to them. And that is really inspiring to me. And the final question, again, anything that comes to mind, anything you want to share, simple, tell me something good. Tell you something good that your decisions are under your control, which means that if you want to make today the best day ever, that is your choice. You can choose whether to make the next moment, the rest of your day, tomorrow better. And that is under your control to take that action. And that is good because it means that good is possible no matter what. Thank you, Jason, for sharing your good. If you're looking to live better, he's the person to join on the journey. Look up Live Better Co. online and consider joining the collective. It sounds like a superhero team, the collective. I like it. I think I'm going to join. Next time on World Gone Good. Anytime I try to hold on to something or make something work, it just never works out. So I'm really just like let go and let God in all areas of my life. It's time to let our secrets out for the whole world to hear. Actress, author, and host of the Secret Life podcast, Brianne Davis, joins me to talk about the good in opening up, letting go, and letting our secrets fly free. It's going to be a good time, and that is no secret. Until then, be good. <laughs>